Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Lisa Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. John chapter 20, looking at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And that's how John referred to himself. He referred to himself as identity in how Jesus looked at him, that he was loved. And he said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I plan on asking the Holy Spirit why he thought that verse was necessary. (laughs) Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Peter, he then came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloths, cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I always tell my children with that verse, God is organized. He folds his clothes. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their own homes. Father, where do we begin to thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do we sing that it would sound so perfectly in with the grace of gratitude towards you? How do we shout loud enough to be able to say, How great thou art. And how as a church do we stop for just a moment and say we love you? Because you've given us each other. You've given us Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you have your seat? I know it's Christmas, and it's not Easter, but we're in John chapter 20. I actually got an email from someone last week saying they think that I should speak about the resurrection all of the time. So it's appropriate for us to be in John's gospel chapter 20 as we continue our study verse by verse through the gospel of John. There's a verse that I want you to underline. There's something that I want you to see. It's in verse 9. Maybe you'll underline it. They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They they didn't catch what God had said. Oh, not just Jesus' proclamation, but in Psalm, I'll read it for you, verse 10. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. 
Truly, they did not understand the Scripture. No wonder Solomon would say, In all of your getting, get understanding. You see, they didn't remember Isaiah chapter 55. That as the rain and the snow falls, that the word of God would not return void in like manner. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. They, they didn't remember that God's word will not return void. They didn't remember the power of the word of God. That's the title of today's message. The power of the word of God. Because they didn't understand the scriptures, they were missing the pinnacle of history. Mary, listen to what she said. We don't know where they have laid him? Mary, did you forget about Psalm 16? Did you forget about Isaiah 55? You see, they were missing the pinnacle of history since the beginning. The God had yearned for this moment because of his love. Placed in the garden of perfection, Adam and Eve were there. Deceived by the snake who questioned the word of God and said to Eve, did God really say? That's the goal of the enemy. A goal of the enemy is to always make us question, to doubt or be in despair about the word of God. Well, this questioning of the word of God, it brought sin into the world. And Jesus then came calling in the garden. Where are you? Longing for the relationship that sin had now broken because death had entered the world. And now this moment? This moment that the God had yearned for, this is the moment where Mary is going, I don't know where they laid his body? You see, God, in his foreknowledge, knew man's inability for perfection. And he had a plan. For the plan since the beginning of time is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, that the Lamb was slain since the foundation of the world. God's plan was always a plan of redemption. It culminated right now at this moment of the resurrection. And they were missing it because they didn't understand the Scripture. I meet with a group of fathers, and uh, we were talking the uh, last couple of weeks about the very fact that God made a place for Adam and Eve to thrive. What an incredible parent he is. And then, it's typical with kids, they, in this incredible place of thriving, they messed up. They, 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 they didn't do and thrive in the place of thriving because as a good parent, even though it was his desire to create this garden where they could thrive at the best of their ability and give them the greatest success, as a good parent, he had the plan of redemption. And the plan of redemption was always the plan. It was the plan since the foundation of the world. But they didn't understand. And Mary asked the question, we don't know where they laid his body. They didn't understand the power of God. Not only did they miss this pinnacle of history, they've now missed the power of God displayed in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus had told them. He had said in his word with God, all things are possible. But they didn't realize that the word all meant all, including rising from the dead. They'd witnessed Lazarus. They saw him come out of the tomb. 
They, they saw Jairus' daughter come from the dead, but they didn't understand his power that he would have victory over death in and of himself, and that he would, be, that he would die, that he would be buried, and that he would rise again on the third day. He told them. He gave them his word. Three times he said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. He even gave the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale, dead, and then given life to do the work of God. They didn't grasp that the power of God in this moment of the resurrection was their deliverance. They, they missed the moment that the chains of sin were broken, that death was conquered. They missed the moment that they could be forgiven, that God was offering a way to himself through Jesus Christ. They were missing this moment because they didn't memorize Scripture. Now that's a plug for our sale of version at the end of service. We had a rough one this week. Does anyone remember the verse? That was two weeks ago. Very good, Donna. Look who's memorizing the verses. Giving thanks where? Good job, church. Proud of you. Because I don't want you to miss the moment. I don't want you to miss. Wow. How you found that, Noah, God bless you. I don't want you to miss the moment. They hadn't memorized the scripture and they didn't remember the scripture when God told Noah, build an ark for your deliverance. And for 120 years, because of God's word, he was faithful to build this ark. They, they didn't remember the scripture where God told Moses, put your staff in the water and the nation of Israel would be delivered. They didn't remember the scripture when God told Isaiah, though you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. I am thankful that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they memorized that scripture. And they trusted God that though they would go in that fire, they trusted God in his word that they would not be burned. They memorized Isaiah 43 and they walked into the fire with confidence because they trusted through the memory of scripture that God's word would not return void. That it would accomplish the reason for which it was sent. For us, oh, for us. We look back now 2,000 years of history, and we celebrate the pinnacle of history. We celebrate this display of the power of God, and we celebrate it in this precious moment we call Easter, where the angels announced, He is risen. We celebrate it every time someone raises their hand and says, I want to give my life to Christ. We celebrate this moment, this precious moment, when we see people living in victory over sin, no longer chained or bound to sin. We see it and celebrate it. Every precious moment, a wayward child comes home, a marriage is saved, and even the death of the saints. We celebrate the resurrection. 
No wonder the psalmist would write, as we memorize this scripture, Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, because truly, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a precious moment because of the resurrection that one day we'll close our eyes, we'll open them, we'll see Jesus, and he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. But for Mary, at this moment, it wasn't a celebration. No, Mary, she was caught in the midst of a catastrophe. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, I know you want to read on, but would you stop there for a moment? Because Mary, she's not celebrating. No, Mary, she's caught in the catastrophe. You see, Mary, she was eyewitness. She was one of three that would be at the cross. Surely there were other women that were following Jesus. The Bible says that stood afar off from the cross. But Mary Magdalene, no. She there with the mother of Mary and John the apostle, the mother of Jesus and John the apostle stood at the base of the cross and there she was looking at the torturous death of her Savior and her Lord. She was exasperated by her experience. And she stood weeping outside of the tomb. At this point, her emotions had overtaken her capacity because of what had transpired over the last few days. She, she went from the cross to a Passover celebration, then waiting, preparing all of these spices to go and lay them on top of Jesus as was the custom. And here she is, exasperated by this experience, overwhelmed with emotion. She was surprised by her situation. She had not woken up early that morning to do anything else but to lay the spices on, a body, on the body. She didn't wake up thinking she was going to have to go and find the Lord's body. She didn't realize that the stone was going to be rolled away. She was speaking to the other women as she was on her way. How are we going to roll that stone away? And Mary, she knew the severity of the circumstance. See, rumors were already flying around Jerusalem that the disciples, they were going to steal the body of Jesus. And that's why Pilate, he put two Roman guards. They were there watching the tomb to make sure that nobody would come and steal the body of Jesus. And in fact, he sealed it with his ring so that if anyone broke it, the punishment of it would surely be death. They're thinking that the disciples would steal the body. You have to recognize that Mary, she was a disciple. You see, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 8, you can look it up later, that she herself was delivered from seven demons when Jesus visited the town of Magdala. And we know that Jesus visited the town of Magdala. We see it in Matthew's gospel. Magdala. Oh, this was a, a thriving city. Josephus tells us 40,000 people were living in this city. There were 230 fishing boats. Now, I'm from the Bahamas. And one of the islands called Spanish Wells, they take in all of the lobster for Red Lobster, the, the chain restaurant Red Lobster. And these guys are unbelievable. They go out on the ocean. Eight months of the year, they live on land for four months. The island, it's like the... the, the, the uh, um, Oh, what was that movie? The Truman Show, or not Truman Show. Truman Show, is that when the camera follows? 
Yeah, okay, it's two and a half miles by half mile wide. Trust me, everybody knows everybody's business. When you get to the food store and you've just landed on the island, oh, they told me you were here. Who told you I was here? The island is this big. And this island, who makes sure that all of Red Lobster has all of the lobster that it can have in the whole country, listen, there's only 28 boats. 28 boats. Now, I want to tell you something. There were 230 boats. This was a thriving town right off the Sea of Galilee. In fact, it was the center of trade and commerce. This was a rich little city, and it was one of the wealthiest cities until the city of Tiberias was built. Magdala actually means tower of fish. And if you understand what that is, when you go to a third world or a developing nation, what they do is they build these little towers. They're only about this high. They put smoke and fire underneath in the tower. They put like a little grate over it, lay the fish on top of the grate, then put a metal cover over this little tower. They smoke the fish, then they salt the fish, and they preserve the fish so that it can be delivered not only in their own town, but around the world. And that's exactly what Magdala means. They would dry the fish, salt it, and Magdalene fish were famous even in Europe. And Luke tells us, Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene, she ministered to Jesus. She traveled with Jesus by taking care of his needs. She was so grateful to be delivered of seven demons that she provided for Jesus out of her own means. This was a wealthy woman from Magdala. By no means was she a casual connection. No, she was a faithful follower. In fact, as you read the early church fathers, there's a one church father, and he said in one of his books, third century, that Mary Magdalene should be given the title the apostle to the apostles. That's what Hippolytus said. Hippolytus said that she should be labeled the apostle to the apostles. She was a faithful follower. Yet, she found herself where so many Christians find themselves today. Weeping. Because we as well, like Mary, we become afraid. We become anxious. We become angst over catastrophe. Sometimes we're exasperated by our experience. Sometimes certain situations surprise us. They come out of nowhere and we're overwhelmed by the severity of the circumstance, just like Mary. And so most of us right now, we can identify why Mary is weeping because we felt this way before. We've been overwhelmed by our emotions. We've been filled with anxiety. We've been exasperated by our experience. But Mary sets an example. She takes one small, faithful step, and she stooped to look into the tomb. She wanted to find Jesus. No wonder James would write, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You can't prove it wrong. His word is true. Following Mary's example, maybe we need to stoop and ourselves look for Jesus. Maybe in the midst of our angst or an anxiety. Maybe in the midst of our anger or our frustration. Maybe we need to be like Mary and just send up a simple prayer. 
Maybe it's a prayer like the father who had the son that was epileptic and he was on the floor just ranting and raving as the disciples were arguing with the Pharisees and the father looked at Jesus with a simple prayer and he said, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? For it was in the humility offered in those words that like Mary, you're going to find a Savior. And just like that father, Witness the power of God. Take a look at verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, once one at the head and the one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, now notice, she doesn't fall in fear. So they must have taken on some form of human form where she wasn't shocked or surprised. She says, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. I'll do anything. I've just got to get to Jesus. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. She took a step of faith she wanted to find Jesus. And now, despite her misery, she would become the very first missionary. No longer was there a misunderstanding of Scripture. No longer did she not grasp the truth of Jesus. So completely understood was she, by his direction, go to my brothers, she went and proclaimed, I've seen the Lord. This is the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God to help us control our emotions. The power of the Word of God to give us direction. The power of the Word of God to give us hope in the midst of despair and say, I have seen the Lord just like Mary. It's the power of the Word that takes our miserable situation and makes us a missionary in the midst of our experience. Unlike Mary, John, he believed. If you look up at verse 8, would you see with me? I want you to see the moment of John's belief. The Bible says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in, speaking of John, and he saw and he believed. No wonder John would begin his book like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. And John announces the power of the Word of God because of his belief in the resurrection. But a lot of us aren't like John. A lot of us are like Mary. We struggle in the midst of our circumstance, and it, we, we, we find ourselves more doubting than we do believing. And I want you to see how Jesus ministers the power of the Word of God even to you now in that moment. 
I want you to write it down. It's the first of three. Number one, Jesus, who John refers to as the Word of God, is concerned for us. Jesus is concerned for us. The Word of God, His Word is concerned for us. Look how He approaches Mary. He's not disappointed with her dismay. He's not exasperated by her experience. He's not distraught by this disciple. He looks at Mary and he says, why are you weeping? The gentle shepherd, the word, is concerned for a sheep. And though she's blinded with emotion, though she's incapacitated because of her experience, he calls her by name, Mary, and immediately she knew the truth of John chapter 10. I call my sheep by name. They hear my voice and I will then lead them out. And with utmost concern, our good shepherd leads her out of her misery to make her a missionary of what he's calling her to be. He simply met her with concern. Mary. And then he tells her in this direction, go tell my brothers. Now, maybe you didn't underline that, but that's a powerful point. Go tell my brothers. Because if you remember before the resurrection, resurrection, Jesus said this. I no longer call you servants. He said, I call you friends. And now he's saying, no longer friends, but brothers. Hear the concern of our shepherd. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? We deserted him. We forsook him. Peter, you tried to cut off someone's head and got their ear. I mean, I'm so embarrassed with you right now. You even denied him three times to a little girl. Peter, how can you lead us? Just think of what they were talking about. Think of what they were going through. Think of their own distraught and dismay. And in comes Mary. What kind of friends are we? How could we desert him? In the midst of that conversation, Mary comes in. Go tell, he said, go tell your brothers. Wait a second. We, we've gone from friends to brothers? We, we forsook him. We didn't do anything right. Like, we didn't even stand by him. And we're not being downgraded as disciples. You're revealing a new relationship the power of the word of God. Can you imagine when they heard Mary tell them, Jesus told me, go tell my brothers. My brothers. Jesus instituted a new family. That's you and me. And because of the resurrection, imagine the word of God. When she walked in and said to the friends, you're no longer friends, you're now brothers. Oh, how the word of God is concerned for us. But Jesus, the word of God, write it down, number two, the word of God cares for us. The word of God cares for us. Look at verse 19. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The word of God cares for us. Jesus cares for us. And I want you to see, maybe you'll underline it in your scripture. Listen carefully. He went to where they were at. This is the power of the word of God. 
He'll always meet you where you're at. It's that verse that pops up from a U version every single day that's just the exact verse that you needed to hear. It's the friend that texts you a scripture and it's exactly what you needed to hear. It's the devotions that you had this morning and as you read, you began to cry because it was exactly what you needed to hear. I'll, I'll never forget, when I was struggling as a young man, do I go to Africa or not? I'm like 20 years old wondering, what does the Lord have for me? I believe I'm called, but I don't know if I'm called and who wants to go to Africa? I surely don't. Maybe I'll just stay around Fort Lauderdale and hang out a pastor walks up to me and he says Chet the Lord gave me a word for you have I not commanded you now be strong and of good courage and do what I've asked you to do <laughs> guess I'm going to Africa it was the exact word that I needed to hear because Jesus knew and was so caring for me that he met me where I was at. In all of my confusion, in all of my dismay, he wasn't dismayed, he wasn't distraught. He brought the word of God to me because he cares for me. So caring, he knew exactly what to say. So caring, he knows when to say it. So caring, he knows how to say it. And so caring, he knows what to do with his word. And so he walks in the room and he gives them the word that they needed to hear. Shalom. Peace be with you. Common greeting. But now meaning something so much more. Shalom. He didn't walk in the room and go, Shalom. That's not what he did. He didn't go in the room and go, what's up? That's not what he did. It wasn't appropriate. It wasn't right. He walked into the room and he goes, shalom. And learning from Jesus, I've walked into a lot of hospital rooms. And some hospital rooms I walk in, I can walk in and go, shalom. Some hospital rooms I can walk in and go, shalom. It's some hospitals I can walk in and I go, Because the word cares. The word meets you where you're at. The word goes to the foundation of where you are, speaks into your life the way that you can receive it, and your life is forever changed. Shalom. He knew exactly how to care for the disciples. So caring was he, he knew exactly what to do. I'm not going to do it, but he lifted up his little gown, right? And he showed his side. And I don't know if he's wearing sandals because he had really special feet at this point. They could go through walls, but he, he kind of showed them the holes in his feet. And then he showed them his hands. And when they saw the scars, the Bible says he was glad. He cared for them so much, he knew exactly what needed to be revealed so that they would believe. He knew what it would take for them to believe. This is the power of the Word of God. Jesus cares for us so much that he continues to show us parts of himself so that when we need a measure of faith to move our misery to joy, he reveals himself in Scripture. He is the Word of God so that when you receive him, 
you will be made glad because he reveals himself in the word of God. He knows what to say. He knows when to say it. He knows what to reveal to exactly meet us where we're at because he cares for us. That's the power of the word of God. Finally, I want you to write it down. It's verse 21. Jesus, the word of God, is our confidence. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And if you haven't underlined that in your Bible, I want you to right now. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus, the word of God, is our confidence. After so much concern, after so much care, he announces to them again, shalom. This shalom was different than the first shalom. The first shalom was offering them peace in the midst of their misery, to make them a missionary. Now this shalom was to give them direction. Shalom. This was a shalom. This was a shalom of, I know the way for you. I know what will fulfill your life. I know where your greatest fulfillment will be. I know the best direction. And as the resurrected one, I speak with absolute confidence and absolute authority because I am your God. And I'm going to give you the best direction of your life. The verse I've asked you to underline, as the Father sent me, so I send you. It's the context for why John writes this gospel. He wants people to believe. And the only way that people will believe is if you, whom the Holy Spirit is in, go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. This is the best direction for your life. This is where you'll feel most fulfilled. This is the confidence of the word of God directing all of us to where we will find our greatest contentment and our greatest joy in winning souls for Christ. As the Father sent me, say it with me, so I send. So John writes this book. And now we find the pinnacle of this book found in this verse. That Jesus Christ wants to send all of us. With absolute confidence, he knows what to say in order to give us the greatest fulfillment of our life. And he says, I am sending you. Now, he wants us to operate in the same kind of confidence that he has. So he doesn't leave us on our own to go and do this. No, he says to the disciples, receive the Spirit. I'm going to provide for you the confidence that I have. And the same Spirit that's within me... I am now saying for you to receive. I want you to receive the Spirit. You believed. I've shown you my hands. I've shown you my feet. I've shown you my side. And in your belief, now you have the Spirit. And the confidence that I have is the same confidence that you can have. Not only the confidence of the Spirit of God within you as you go out from misery to missionary. No, it's the confidence of the Word that He's given us. He says to the disciples something that we need to understand. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. 
Here's what Jesus is saying. I am the only way. And now you can go out with confidence with this message. If you receive and believe in me, you will go to heaven. But if you don't receive and believe in me, withhold forgiveness. In other words, they're not saved yet. And I want to underline that word yet. I want you to hear that word in bold letters, yet. Because he's giving them the confidence, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to get to heaven. You've got to believe in Jesus and receive him as your Savior and Lord. And then you will know without a shadow of a doubt that you will have eternal life. But if you don't receive, withhold the forgiveness. Because there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Now he's rose from the dead and he's confidently telling them there's no other way to get to heaven except through me. This is the power of the word of God. Now church, he's concerned for us. He's so concerned that he is not distraught by your dismay. He wants to call you by name. He, he, he cares for us. That's his word. And what the enemy wants to do is keep you from the word. Oh, if you go into that Bible, if you get direction from Jesus, you're going to feel condemned. You're going to know what you're doing is wrong. And Jesus says, no, no, wait, I care for you. And when you come to my word, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. And I'm going to give you the exact word that you need. And you can be confident with this word that it's absolute truth for your life. Now remember what I said. The confidence comes from the fact Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the way that Jesus ministered the word to us, we are his ambassadors to minister to the world the same way. We're not called to be the moral police. We're called to care. We're called to be concerned. We don't need to waver as if God may have another way to heaven. We've got the confidence that Jesus said, I am the way. And we've got the confidence to know that there is a heaven and that there is a hell because Jesus told us that there is. And with that confidence, we go out of this place knowing that the Father has sent us in the same way that he sent Jesus Christ. 